Yes. Welcome. Welcome. We're back. It's episode 61 of the Music Guy podcast. My name's Al Rowe. I'm a music guy. I make records. I play guitar. Sing songs. Um, I teach online. I'm surviving the quarantine with my friend Michael Hebbs all the way from Whitby, Ontario. How are you? Whitby. How are you, my dude? Uh, You know, I'm fucking going crazy, man. We, if we, they've extended the lockdown, and I understand why, I totally get it, Yeah, but I'm still going fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, my sanity level was I here, you, and normal people's is here, but at the beginning it was here, and now it's fucking right down here. But it's good kind of crazy. Like, you know, it's manic. I'm gonna <laughs> be more, I don't fucking know. I'm lost. more productive. Yeah, me and Will are both going crazy. We have another Whitby native with us on the show today. Very excited to uh, to have him here, and I, I I thank him very much for uh, taking the time to come on. Uh, a good friend of, of Mike and uh, and myself. It's Mr. Nathan Whitney, all the way Hello. from Etobicoke. Hello, everyone. Toronto. Yes. Thanks for having me, guys. Whitby, a great town for guitar. Yeah, just like. A real legends row of guitar players coming coming out of Whitby, right? There's a pretty Mike Hebs, Will Hebs. <laughs> who else is who else? There's a there's a few people that have gone on to do things from like Durham region specifically that like you wouldn't think of. Like there's a I forget her name. Aaron Bales. Aaron, Aaron there you Bales. Go. Yep. And there's like some some players that uh, there's one one girl I forget her name now. She went to high school in Bowmanville, but she ended up playing guitar and keyboards for like. Some British uh, death metal band that was pretty popular, not Cannibal Corpse. Uh, what was the name I of the band? Know. Maybe oh, it was that. No. Uh, you're talking about Lindsay Matheson. Uh, and, yes. Uh, oh, God. What's the name of the band, though? They all wear the crazy goth makeup. Yeah. Death. Yeah. Thing. But it's like they were a really big band. I'm I'm so far removed from like the geth, the death goth scene, so I'm not sure. But like, there's a lot of people that are doing goth? stuff. Not death goth. I'm a goth death, Man. but uh, yeah. There you go. Right, there's there a lot of people. <laughs> there's a lot of talents in Durham region that you just don't think of, and yeah, it's pretty interesting. I wonder why that is. And like a bunch of the players from uh, you used to play in the Beggars. Yeah, the, <laughs> you guys were mostly like a cover kind of. Bar band, but like the lineup of that band was uh, there, absurdly a, good. Uh, Mike Mike Salute was from that oh, area as yeah. well, right? Yes, yes. yeah. He uh, I, actually, I think he's living in back in Whitby again, right? So yeah, living he's, the dream, uh, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So just for folks who uh, haven't uh, met Nathan before, uh, Nathan is the guitarist for. Uh, Thomas Rhett, one of honestly one of the biggest country artists going right now, yeah. uh, and just a great great singer, great songwriter, um, great performer. The show, I mean, I've seen, been fortunate to see the show once or twice, at least once from side stage. I think it was Boots and Hearts. That it was familiar. a number of years ago. I'm not yeah. sure if, if you were in the band at that time or not, Nathan. I don't remember. Uh, um, if it was two years ago, yes. If it was like five years ago no so yeah i think I, it was yeah i think, I think it was, was about there. five years ago yeah, no because i was there and i don't think i was ever at boots and hearts when nathan wasn't in that band uh, i don't know so i'm pretty sure pretty <laughs> why sure. aren't we keeping track of each other better <laughs> yeah 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 that's right did you know that nathan got me my first gig my first paying gig 
I did? I I shit you I not. not. Uh it was a New Year's thing. Uh at I don't even know where it was. It was some New Year's thing and they it was a reading thing too. Like they had a book oh. of like 500 tunes, the gig bros oh. or something like that. Yeah. What, or was it like uh Kim and Company or something like that? Or it was like the Brian Rose band back in the day? It was like a, a function like wedding band sort of thing, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And okay. I remember I got the book and I was like, oh, fuck, I have to read music? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. I mean, first, first yeah. time actually getting paid money to do music. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad I could help and I've set nice. you on this wonderfully lucrative path. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. <laughs> Look at us now. Yeah. Living the dream. In with me. So Music City. So um but you know, pre quarantine, of course, your um your current sort of working situation was you're just on the road a good amount of the year um with, with Thomas and that was sort of your main uh, and is and will be again, I'm sure, like your your main gig and your, your top priority um in terms of work. Yes, hundred uh, percent. Since I got into T- Thomas's band back in 2017, and it's just been constant go 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 with the the road work, which has been amazing. Um, I'm really lucky though that, and I'm sure you guys know from the the country scene, it's not so much like you get on the road in March and then you don't get home again till October. It's not like the pop or rock worlds where it's just extended tours. In country, it's a lot of weekend warrior type thing so you're doing you're playing shows every thursday friday saturday and then you're home sunday at some point and then you hit get on the road on wednesday again so yeah it's it's really uh i love i love working for thomas he's a a great guy he's a killer artist a killer songwriter uh the guys in the in the band have become some of my best friends in the world and it's uh such a such a fun gig and i'm just i am the luckiest guitar player in Nashville that doesn't even live in Nashville. So yeah, I'm really lucky that way. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that you can come home and, and, and still have a family life. I mean, you have a, you have a wife and daughter and you recently became a dad, uh, somewhat recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you're, you know, you're able to kind of do all that stuff and, 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 and still have, um, you know, a time life. for that. You're not gone, yeah. you know, 200 days a year or whatever. That's, that's an amazing situation, right? It's funny. Cause it's so much, different than like um have you ever watched inside the tour bus it's, no. it's by the guy who created hank hill and it's about country musicians like oh wait a second i've day, seen like, the first i think i have that yeah. but I've, I've, I've only seen the first episode right yeah and it's all the stories of like how crazy touring it is. all the time yeah yeah and like they're on amphetamines because they're touring so much and like <laughs> it's funny that it's become more healthy like because like all those guys were fucked before because they were gone all the time and like it'd be like we'd play a gig and then somebody needs to drive the bus so you're just going to do a bunch of pills you know <laughs> which is fucked Man, it's it, it like part of me's like that sounds like it could have been a lot of fun back in the day, but I'm so thankful to be touring in a time and day yeah. and age where I wake up in the morning and the and there's a trainer on the road and he's like, okay, go for a run. All right, we're going to do this workout what? program, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've got a great uh, a great guy. He's not our guy. He's Thomas's guy, uh, Larry Donald. Yeah. he's he's such a he's a he's a good buddy. He's a good friend, but he's like he's willing to help you out if you need something. And I, you know. 
the first year I, I toured with Thomas, I definitely put on like the, the touring musician equivalent of the freshman 15. I definitely was like catering <laughs> three meals a day. What? Like yeah. I, I eat better yeah. on the road than I do at home. So like I definitely, yeah. definitely put on a little weight that first, that first year. But, uh, I've, I've been even during quarantine, I've been really, uh, aware of like, well, you know, I can play the guitar, but like people want to look at something nice on stage. So like, yeah, it's gotta, true. Gotta, yeah, yeah. Gotta, you know, and for our, our, our Thomas's show, it is 100% active. It's like, there's, I can think of there's three or four songs where I'm standing in one spot. The rest of the show, you're running from side to side. You're running up and down. Last year we had a, I want to say it was like 250 feet it was long. It was like one end of, it was like a hockey arena length catwalk uh, wow. from the front of the stage. Wow. And there was a couple, couple solos where I'd have to be three quarters of the way down and then for the, my solo and then run all the way back in. There's places to be. So you, you can't just like, it's not just sitting around eating donuts and drinking coffee and then getting up and standing and still and playing a guitar. It's, yeah, you're not shooting. Yeah, 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 you're yeah. running, you're going. So, yeah, being healthy on the road has been really, really good for, it's good for your sanity. It's good for, you know, yeah. we, we work We work for like the show's 90 minutes. We have sound check for maybe between half an hour and an hour every day. So that's two and a half hours. And then there's, you know, another 21 and a half hours to kill and you can only sleep so long and you can only, you know, watch Netflix so long. So working out is a great way to uh, surpass some time and feel good about yourself. Have you found that your hands, because I remember you saying when you were younger that your hands sometimes were bothering you. Do you find that your hands are better now that you're exercising more? Because that's what I've found. I definitely, it's funny because I uh, I just experienced a, a bit of an injury where my hands got really bad. But uh, mm. yeah, for the most part, for the most part, uh, working out and exercising, like especially when I was doing a lot of yoga, it was like when when all your tendons and and muscles are are stretching and doing all the right thing. It's it's really really good. Recently, I've been yeah. I started running. I've started running a lot lately, and just back at the beginning of December, I uh, it hasn't been snowing much here in Toronto, so I was just still out running outside, and I tripped over you know one of the classic Toronto sidewalks where one brick is like this and the other's like that, and I tripped and I hit my elbow. And my, it was like, I started, uh, my, my left hand went numb, like just like pins and needles, like, like, and it, and just kept on. Yeah. It was one of those things and ended up getting a a referral to a specialist. And luckily it was like, I, you've heard of carpal tunnel syndrome, right? But there's also cubital tunnel syndrome, which is another nerve that handles carpal tunnel handles your first and your, your thumb and your first finger. And then cubital tunnel is the nerve that goes to these three fingers. And I had compressed the cubital tunnel nerve when I hit my elbow. So there's some, you know, injury happening there. But luckily, it's not so serious and it's been getting better. So I'm really thankful about that. So time, I guess, right? Yeah. And you just need to give it time to expand back or whatever nerves do. But definitely in the in the grand scheme of things like exercise makes you so much of a better musician. It's like you're not only... It, it like you feel better about yourself so you can play better it's like what's that at the end of a mighty wind do you remember that movie about the it's the spoof oh, it's a spoof no. movie oh i forget is the guys that did waiting for guffman and best in show and um it's isn't it the guys that okay. did um spinal tap yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, it's all about it's all about the the folk music scene but at the end of the at the end of the movie there's this there's a one of the bass players 
uh, in one of the bands, he he comes out as I guess a cross dresser or transgendered, but he's he he says, you know, you play so much better when you feel good about yourself. And it was like at the time of this movie being made, it was sort of like tongue in cheek and kind of silly and whatnot, but it's so true. If you feel good, you play better. Yeah. It's like yeah. 100% whether mm-hmm. it's by exercising or just like making sure that you wash your hair that day. I don't know. Yeah, you, you always feel better. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that with Will, uh Will can do like those manly fucking bends where he like grabs the neck and just rips on them cuz he's always been like a strength training guy and I just couldn't. And like I still uh, like I can now ish you know but like will could i feel like will could break the guitar neck in half if he really wanted to he's just a strong guy you know i definitely i would not want to uh meet will in a dark alley when he's trying to do a bend on the guitar neck because he might take everyone out yeah yeah it's like 300 pounds of pressure on those things right (laughs) sure yeah man science um (laughs) so if we can walk back just just a tiny bit um, yeah. for folks out there who who don't know you. Um, so you're now, you know, you're now or you know pre-COVID or whatever, full pretty much full-time touring musician. You know, one of the one of the most popular, you know, awesome-sounding bands uh, going. Um, can you give like a some kind of a bio to people just about like how you got started? Um, like I know you went to Humber for a bit, um, that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um- Started playing guitar when I was 12, uh, played in high school and got to a certain point where it was like the only thing I really wanted to do. So I thought I better, you know, it's still my parents wanted me to go to school and get an education. So I decided to go to Humber. Uh, and this was, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you guys, uh, but this was like 2000 was the first time I went to Humber. Uh, and I did the diploma and I got my the diploma in jazz, which really for me means uh, a whole lot of nothing. Um, uh, but I ended up going <laughs> and working on cruise ships for six years, uh, after I finished college and which was a great experience. And I highly re- recommend doing one or two contracts on a cruise ship. If cruise ships ever come back, um, because they're, it's a great way to really hone your chops and get some real world playing experience without having the pressure of like ruining your reputation in your local scene. You can ruin it out on the ocean. No one sure. cares when you get but <laughs> on if the you, open if, seas. Yeah. If you mess up and you mess up a gig Just on the leave open it seas, out in international waters. Exactly. You know, like chuck your reputation <laughs> overboard, you know, don't worry, let the sharks have it. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's a great yeah. way to, to cut your teeth playing. And then, uh, but I recommend doing it one or two times, but because there's a certain point you do it once or you do it your entire life. But I was one of those people that did it for six years, which is kind of a weird middle ground. And uh, it definitely, you yeah. know, I feel like I'm about 10 years behind a lot of my peers that are the same age just because I wasn't around to get gigs when sure. I was, you know, in my mid to late 20s because I was out working on cruise ships. Um, but anyways, I, I got back to Toronto after working on ships, went back. I didn't have anything going on, so I thought I'll go back to school. So I went back and uh, did my degree, and it was like a two-year program in addition to what I'd done before. At that point, that's when I met Al, uh, and we actually played in a, a pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome yes. pop-punk band for uh, for a, <laughs> a moment. We uh, definitely yeah. t- toured across Canada together in some fashion, which was really uh, a yeah. good experience for, for me and I think for all of us to learn how not to tour and how to uh, value ourselves <laughs> as musicians. 
Um, it was really sure. eye opening. Closer experience. to the uh, TV show you're talking about, where like whoever's the most awake is driving, and uh, you know yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because like, like with with that yeah. sort of thing, everybody always, uh, not now, but like I guess they always assumed that musicians were like, oh, just all like into drugs and unhealthy sort of lifestyles, and it's like I don't think they that's the case anymore because I feel like record labels and like business people realize like yeah if these people are fucked up they're gonna like crash and burn you know there like are, if we take care of these people then we'll make more money and for anybody like uh, i think we all know who rick emmett is between the three of us he uh yeah and he used to teach the the music business course and he always said which is the bigger word music or business and it's business and you have so that's what you have to focus on and i think people back you know I have no experience, but back in up to the 80s and 90s, even um, there was a certain level of the management and those pe- type of people that could herd cats. And the people that had the talent but may have had addiction problems or had uh, mental health issues, they could make sure that they could do the job so those people could make money. Yeah. And that was that. But at this point, uh, you don't want to deal with that. You don't want to, I don't want to be yes. in a band with, with people that, you know, are self-destructive intentionally all the time for no other reason yeah. other than they can be self-destructive. Uh, I yeah. understand if people have, uh, like I said, mental health or addiction issues, those are 100% understandable, but it, you can't, it's just non-functional in, um, in a professional yeah. business because we are professionals and we're trying to, at the end of the day, I'm trying to make money so I can support my wife and my daughter and have a roof over the heads and keep food on our table. And that's that's what it comes right down to. And if anyone's going to get in the way of that because of their destructive habits, I can't be a part of that. I can't associate with it. So yeah, yeah, it's it's that's part of it. So yeah, we uh, we we and then like uh, the, like to your point about like people used to think that's what people used to do. People used to just have bad um, lifestyles not because of drugs or alcohol so much, but because there are four guys that are driving from Toronto to Winnipeg in 21 hours when it should take 26 hours because they've got a gig the next like two, a day and a half later that they yeah. have to make it. Touring, especially in Canada, is hard on your body. And you can't, like, trying to feed yourself mm-hmm. properly, trying to get enough sleep, trying to get enough exercise, it's, it's nearly impossible. So it's tough. Yeah, for it, sure. To, to, to be fair, we weren't all on drugs on this. No, we weren't. Uh, none of us were. <laughs> particular tour that. <laughs> I don't. No, no. <laughs> it was the. Uh, it it was more about the the yeah the schedule being uh, extremely rigorous and uh, yeah yeah and, and like Nathan said, who has like, money for drugs old, and alcohol? <laughs> if you were older, though, it was a dry tour. It was a dry tour. Y- it yes, was a dry was. tour. Yeah, no that? drinking. Like we oh, couldn't yeah. even have a beer. Yeah. We should I should do an episode about that tour. I don't want to like, you know. You could use it, like a, a maybe, pseudonym maybe for I the should. company. Yeah, pseudonyms. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's oh, let me tell you a story about this band. <laughs> yeah, we we met and we we did that tour and finished my degree and then I just started working in Toronto and doing the whole um, wedding band cover band teaching hustling anything I could do digging ditches if I needed to whatever. Um, did that for a few years, got connected with a few people in the, the country scene in Toronto. And that's really what sort of kickstarted my, what I would define as my true professional, um, at least professionally playing for, for original artists, uh, part of my career. And that started back in 2014. 
2013, 2014. Uh, and then, yeah, just hustling like everyone doing the, the usual Canadian country summer play 13 or 14 festivals, some random rib fests, all that kind of stuff. And then get back to the weddings and bar mitzvahs in the winter sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I did manage to, uh, play for an alternative act in 20, 2016, 2017. I think it was early 2017, 2016, 2016. And, uh, we toured, uh, down in the States and that's where I got my first taste of similar sort of tour that we did. Um, where it was a van and we played, I think we played 42 shows in 40 days because we had like, we were playing, we played South by Southwest sort of thing. So we were doing multiple shows a day, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, but that was my first like van tour and touring experience in this, in the United States and got me like, I had to get a visa for that. And it was my first foray into that. Mm. The next year I was, I had a, a visa, but I didn't have that specific tour. And I actually didn't have, I had a few studio dates lined up on my visa which allowed me to get the visa but there was nothing major happening and then i got a call uh just randomly one night in february uh from my friend who plays drums for thomas and he said is your visa good and that was the only the first question out of his mouth and i was like well yeah i've got my visa what's what's going on thinking like because he was the guy that hired me to do some studio work and I thought he might need me for an extra studio session, which you're allowed to add on to your visa if it's within the certain times of your visa. And But it turns out that Thomas's guitar player at the time had some family stuff going on that prevented him from going on tour. And, and for them, the tour actually started nine days later. So this was, it was I got a call on a Monday night, and the tour started the following Thursday. Uh, so... I said, yeah, my visa's good. And they said, well, we need you down here tomorrow. I said, I can hop in the car in the morning and be down there. Like, no, we need you here tomorrow morning. So um, I was up that night and all night learning tunes, reviewing tunes. I, it was one of those things where I actually had charted a whole bunch of Thomas Rhett tunes for cover gigs, but also had just charted yeah. a lot of tunes off the record just because, sort of. Um and so I just walked over to my, my chart shelf and pulled off the charts and started reviewing songs and getting my stuff together that way. And then the next morning, I think it was like 4 a.m., I left my, my apartment and got on a plane at 5.30, and I was in Nashville at 8, and I was playing with the band at 10 a.m. in the morning. It was, it was crazy. And then the tour, oh, started, tour started like nine days later. So, yeah, pretty crazy story. So... We did the tour yeah. and they they liked me, so I've been <laughs> I've been doing it for the last four years, I guess technically. Yeah, it's amazing how like I mean, they're, they're, this is fairly unique, but you you do hear of these things where it's like, yeah, man, I got this insane call for this huge band. The gig was the next day, so I just had to like I think yeah. Eddie told a similar yep. story yes, about uh, Sean Mendez about going playing for Sean Mendez. It was like. Yeah, I just like learned the whole show, you know, and then and then showed up, and it's like, you know, um, people wonder what it takes to play with top acts like that, and not to say that every situation is going to be down to the wire last minute, but like, if you want to be the type of person who gets called to play with top acts, this is one of the things you have to be able to do. Uh, is like, no problem, I'll be there. A and B, I'll have the songs down, and it's like tomorrow. You know, it's, it's pretty. It's it pretty. Just f- takes a lifetime of, of preparation for that. It does, and I and this is one thing I will attribute to the especially the Toronto cover band scene that 
There have been, a, I, for the five years between college and getting the call for, for the TR gig, um, there was a lot of like getting calls on Tuesday nights to play a bar on Friday night, and it's 45 songs that you've never played, and you know it's 125 or 150 bucks. But the, and then the person who calls you says, oh yeah, and no charts. And so you're like, at the time you're like, well, I, I, I need $150 and I've got nothing else going on. So I am going to learn 45 songs. I'm going to memorize 45 songs and get this happening. So you do it, you do it. And you do that all the time. And one thing for me was like, when I got the call and it was like, well, you have to have 17 songs together, um, for next Thursday. And I'm like, so I have nine days to memorize 17 songs. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, it's like the Toronto, the Toronto scene really prepared me to do that and to get it together. Now, like I said, I had charts and charts allowed me in rehearsals to ensure that I'm playing parts, right. But just the actual memorization part, uh, it's the doing that. It's like muscle memory almost what for learning songs. Like you just get so used to like, okay, this is like an AAB form. This is a verse course. So you know what you figure it all out and just filling it in the spots. It's, it's pretty impressive what, and I give all credit to the Toronto cover and wedding band scene for giving me those skills. I hated it, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like the thing that you were saying, like, it's like, oh, Al, about, like, yeah, like, you get these last-minute calls, and that's not always the case. But it's true. Like, if you are, like, willing to, like, seize that opportunity and be like, yeah, I'm just not going to sleep that night or those nights, it's like, but then I get to play with them, and maybe they'll, you know, call me again later, you know? Like, it's, yeah, it's, you got to mm-hmm. be willing to do it. Um, yeah, yeah, you totally yeah. have to be willing to do it. Even if you fall flat on your face, at least you try. Yeah. That's like, man, that's the biggest thing for any venture yeah. that I've come across is like, I've failed so many times. I failed so many times. I've like the first time I auditioned for a, a, an original act, Fifi Dobson. I don't know if you guys remember. I heard, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, man. This is like this is this is like twenty years ago now. Like that's obviously showing my age, but like twenty years ago, I somebody through somebody mentioned there was the Fifi Dobson edition. This was for her first for her first record that had just come out, and uh, I got hired or I got in. I, I I got through the audition process or whatever. I was in the band for one day. The other guitar player was actually Dan Cantor, uh, who went on to MD and play for Justin Bieber and he's huge yeah. in LA now. Um, yeah. But it was one of those things like I, I, I didn't understand what was going on with the, with the like, just like the, not I, the only word I can think of is like the politics, but just like how you, how you be cool in that sort of situation. Yeah. And I wasn't cool at all. I was the not most non-cool person ever. And they recognized that. And they said, I remember one time I was like, all right. I, it was like that first day after rehearsal. It's like, all right, everyone appreciate it. Um, can the band head back to the green room? Uh, Nathan, can you hold up one second? You know? And they, and I was oh. like, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Oh. And then, you know, they said, thanks for coming out. Yeah. This was great, but it's not going to work out sort of thing. So like it was, it was really good. And yeah. I learned a lot about that from that situation, yeah. but I don't regret going out for it at all. Like I learned and I failed and there've been so many times in my life where I've tried something and I'm falling flat on my face, but you know, it's like that great Michael Scott quote, you know, you're going to miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take Wayne Gretzky, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, very nice reference. Yeah. <laughs> very nice reference. <laughs> uh, who just turned 60 yesterday, I think. Yeah. Um, 
for you hockey fans out there. Yeah. So I yeah, and I think it's like interesting. It's you know you're saying it's like you have to be willing to 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 take that chance. And yeah, I'll learn the whole show and, and I'll show up tomorrow and, and jam with you guys. And I think anybody would, for the most part, you know, if Thomas Rhett called any yes. of us up or yeah. like any guitar player out there and said, "Show up tomorrow. We're we're rehearsing." It's like cool. I'll be there. But if it's I think it's like Nathan said, if you haven't done that a hundred times already for gigs that you were kind of like, eh, I'm doing this because I, I need the money kind of thing or like, or, or what have you, like, or it was a gig you really liked. But it's like, if you haven't gone through that process that many times when you show up to, to the, the big gig, it's like, you're not going to have the, those years of experience under your belt of like, you're, you're nailing these songs and people are like, yeah, okay, sweet. You know, it's going to yeah. be evident that you that, you know you haven't done this before yeah <laughs> you know you haven't pulled an all nighter and, and learned a whole show before so so um but that man that's that's a that's a heck of a story man what yeah. what are some like highlight gig like highlight real gigs like over the last few years there must be like I saw a photo of you on Instagram somewhat recently where you were like you know it was Reba singing and you were like. <laughs> kind of right there and i was like that's, that's yeah we that's, we just did yeah. the cma awards uh down oh, in nashville fuck. Back, yeah we like since thomas is at a certain level in the in the nashville and country music world you know he often will be performing on or presenting on these shows uh and it's a whole a whole thing where uh he likes to have the band there uh playing with him so it's awesome it's awesome for us because you know some guys like they they'll just do it, you know, to track or whatever. And that's, that's great. And that's what you have to do. And they, but they don't bring up the band or they have like the house band playing for them or whatever. Yeah. But, but Thomas likes having his band in. That's, it's such a great experience to get up there and play. But this last time, uh, we played the, he released a single, uh, back in the spring called be a light. And it was like a, a big sort of thing where it was Reba. It was Chris Tomlin. Uh, it was Hillary from, from, uh, lady a, uh, am I forgetting anybody else who was on it? I can't remember now. Oh, that's embarrassing. But he uh, he released this single and it had all these guest singers on it, and we performed it at the CMAs. And like, yeah, I was socially distanced, probably seven and a half feet away from Reba for that yeah. performance. And uh, that is that is you know being and playing a show with Thomas is amazing. But like when you're I'm sure anybody who's in the scene gets to you know you get to be that close to country music royalty. And it's yeah. pretty, pretty cool. And get to say, mm-hmm. hey, Reba. And she's like, hey, doesn't know your name, but she says, hey. And it's nice, you know? So yeah. it's pretty cool. <laughs> she doesn't need to know your name. <laughs> she doesn't know. special anyways. No, we, we know her name. She doesn't need to know our That's name. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I um, saw a video of you, and this is not a highlight gig thing, but speaking of like a very like a active show, you did a power slide in a Ninja Turtle <laughs> outfit. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. I did that yeah. once or twice. Yeah, there's That's uh, a good that one. was that was really fun. That was last two years ago uh, in Sacramento, California. It was the the Halloween show, and we all yeah. dressed up like Ninja Turtles. And uh, I think it was when we played. Uh, it was like the last song of the night, and I had a big solo. And I was like, "Well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it." So I ran on a power yeah. slide, and yeah, it was pretty pretty fun. But highlight gigs are like practice a power slide. That's I've been practicing a power slide since I was 11 years old, man. Like, okay, there I've you been go. rock and roll since then. Because <laughs> I would just yeah. be afraid to biff 
like real hard. Like we've all seen I, Pick of Destiny with Tenacious State. Man, I've biffed more power slides in my life than I can count on all of our hands. Like it's, you know, if you're not afraid, if you don't try and fail, you're not going to be able to do it, right? So power slides go. are right there. Um, but yeah, there like, you go. But you stuck the landing on that one, though. Yeah, and so like when it comes to like highlight gigs, yeah, playing playing any of these these award shows is pretty amazing. Uh, for actual shows, uh, my very first year we played Stagecoach Festival in California, which is the country version of Coachella, and there, oh. mm. um, you know, when you I was in the band for maybe uh, six weeks, and it was t- Thomas's first headlining tour, so we had been playing. When you do your first headlining tour, you're playing, you know, three to five thousand cap small arenas. Like, so, and I was kind of used to that from doing some big shows in Canada. Uh, so we had done those shows, but then we go fly out to play Coachella, and there are a hundred thousand people, or at Stagecoach, and there are a hundred thousand people there. So, and we're headlining. So when it, we go out to play, I'm like, oh wow, oh wow, there's a hundred thousand people out there. But at that point, they're so far away. Mm-hmm. It's like. You know, I think I've said this before to maybe you guys or to other people for sure. It's like at that point when there's so many people, they don't even really matter in a sense. It's like I I feel I think I feel more nervous about playing for 50 people that are up close and personal than 100,000 people that are all the way out there. I'm more interested at those big gigs at making sure that I'm connecting with the guys on stage musically and some to ensure that the uh, the show goes well, that the music sounds good, that that Thomas is having a good time and enjoying it. So, yeah, that's that's the big thing there. The other two sort of highlight gigs are we played Madison Square Gardens last year, which was okay, pretty yeah. p- pretty surreal to, to headline, uh, and Thomas sold it out. And just to be able to go and say I've played Madison Square Gardens, that's just pretty amazing. Um, and then when we played Saturday Night Live last two years ago. What? Oh, yeah. Last, yeah, Saturday Night Live was that was pretty cool. And the coolest thing that wasn't even playing the show, but was the fact that like uh, to see Mike, uh, Lorne Michaels, and to see like Paul Rudd yes. was there, and like just like just to see oh these people God. that are comedy legends in history. It's like these these once again these are like comedy royalty, and just to like be like yeah. cool, like that is that's the coolest thing about it. And playing on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> yeah. 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 The one thing that psychs me out, like, like I, I've done only a handful of shows in front of many, many people, but like, you know, you say it's like, yeah, that you, you feel more nervous in front of 50. I, I still manage to psych myself out because I imagine like the manager of like one of the other bands yes. or like the headliner is like watching the show and like, <laughs> so like I psych myself out by thinking about like one person that could be in the audience and then I, I you know, I always find some way to like uh, to to psych myself out. Like I don't know if you if you have any um, sort of tips or like experience on, on on with battling that, or if that's something that doesn't really get to you usually. Well, I, I would say there's a few things. First off, ninety nine percent of the time, like the only the only thing reason why we think that is because we have we're, we're there, our ego is involved. And mm. because we're the yeah. only people that are thinking about ourselves like that, everyone else is thinking about the the concert itself. They're thinking about you know that cute guy or girl that's next to them, and the you know they're thinking about where how they're going to go to the bathroom or where they're going to get a beer. They don't care. We're the only people that are involved in that. So once you realize that, yeah. you can sort of flip it around and say, rather than me caring about myself so much, why don't I care about the people in the audience so much? And that 
for me is a huge thing is sometimes I'll in some of the, especially some of the big venues, I'll take the time to walk all the way to the back of the venue and see where people who mm. still paid a lot of money got seats. And I have to entertain them and I have to connect with them all the yep. way at the back. And so not thinking about myself so much and thinking about connecting with the people who are like, we're, we're musicians, but we're entertainers and we're here to, to, to make the show for these people. We might be doing the same show every single night. So it's the same thing. And it's kind of boring to us sometimes, but for those people that come to the show, that's the one time they're going to see that show. And yeah. that may mm-hmm. or may not be the only show they see that year. So like just being aware of that and, and flipping the ego around and, and just being like, and I'm not saying like ego is, is it's bad. It's like, this is, we are human. We are, we, this is, we mm-hmm. live up here, you know? So, um, just being focused on the audience is huge, is huge. Um, mm-hmm. so what other, you're saying the, is you would sing, take it to the limit if I, you know, <laughs> I would, <laughs> if asked to, yes, <laughs> um, reference, but to the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing I think for is just preparation. Like if you can play yeah. and sing songs mm-hmm. in your sleep, if you're not thinking about, oh, it's going to the bridge or is it an A, a major or is it an F sharp minor, that's huge. As soon as you can take that stuff out of the equation where you're not thinking about the mechanics of playing this, the song or doing the gig, then that's, that's great. When it can just be go up and have some fun. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of mechanics, I mean, you offer lessons, right? I do offer lessons. Right now I'm doing Skype and Zoom and uh online lessons yeah and i yeah i've been taking lessons recently and it's it's made a world of a a difference especially like for people like like um you know playing for a while i I definitely think it's worth taking lessons how would people get in touch with you to do that ah you can yes you can visit my uh you can check out my website nathanwhitneymusic.com or you can uh probably uh, an easier way is just go on instagram at nathanwhitneymusic um, you can you just go. reach out, reach out to me that way. Um, yeah, I'm just posting some stuff on Instagram and throwing the tabs up for those licks and things up on my website. So you can download and check that out. Um, yeah, so I'm just doing that. And like I've taken in the last year, I've taken three lessons myself and it gets, you know, when you're, when you're younger and you're just starting out to play, taking lessons every week is beneficial, you know, because there's so much exponential growth that happens. You get to a certain point where, you know, your, your, your growth plateaus and often we're professionals so we're playing and we're working we're doing all that sort of stuff but to kick start you onto that next level um yeah taking lessons this past year has been really really good for me uh just to to have new ideas and new concepts um thrown at me whether yeah. it be musical stuff or technique stuff um i've had a really good lesson back in december with uh, uh the guitar player who plays for oh crap What's the name of this band? Uh, his name, the guitar player's name is Billy Campbell. He is a shred machine, um, and he's really, really inspiring. And he taught me some things, and I don't want to give away his secrets or anything like that. But he just taught, yeah, taught me some conceptual things that uh, have changed the way I've approached practicing and playing and stuff. And has been, I've even seen the difference in the last six weeks of, of practicing this yeah. stuff, which is really good. So, yeah, taking lessons from anybody, non non guitarists. Uh, is really good, you know, taking lessons from pianists and, and digging into that or drummers even talking about groove and time and mm. all that kind of stuff really is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's a good point. Cause I, I had the same thing that I was talking about. Like definitely when I was playing bigger gigs, I haven't played n- nearly any of them, but, um, it's like 
if I can get to that point that you're talking about where it's like, oh, I'm really practiced um, and like I know the songs really well and like, yeah, the lessons, like having my technique sorted out, it makes it so that when I get nervous, I'm not like adrenaline doesn't make me fuck up as much. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, no, definitely lessons are a very good thing. You were saying, um, because you, you have quite a grip on the technical side of things as well. You're saying you're really into that one YouTube channel. Um, well, Troy Grady and cracking the code. Yeah. 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 That stuff has been really like, I remember first seeing the videos. I want to say it was like, it had to be five or six years ago, even longer when they first came out. Um, and but and I didn't quite understand it at first, but after delving into it and spending some time, I finally got the the concept of of what he's talking about. It's it's all about the angle that your pick enters and exits the strain the 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 plane of the string. So it's it's really mind blowing. Sure. And just like for myself, I used to play fast but sloppy because I was. It's just like it, the number of notes per string did not line up with the type of picking technique I was using. So, and it's simple as like, it's really silly, but like I used to hold my pick like this and now I'm holding my pick like this and it makes sure huge amount of difference with the lines that I'm playing and how I've set up to play certain scales and certain licks. And I do, I switch back and forth between those two angles. Definitely. But from, to go from 25 ish years of holding my pick like this over the last, it's taken me almost a year and a half to get comfortable holding my pick like this. It's the the weirdest thing, the forearm muscles and all that kind of sure. stuff um, comes in play. And you have to unlearn one way and learn the other way and then go back to the old way to make sure you can still do it that way because you switch back and forth. It's, it's a whole yeah. system. And Troy does a really amazing job of breaking that down and making it very accessible to us as mere mortals because like he 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 studies like the Ingve malmsteins he studies the rusty coolies studies the mike stearns uh he I studies saw frank the, and, and bali on there once frank and bali and and andy yeah. woods like all those like real heavy uh technical players that we all all know like even the bluegrass be like molly tuttle like the way she picks she's insane uh, holy she's shit. so good she's so good and so musical oh. when like she's playing yeah. and then she starts singing and you're like, well, I give up. I just give up. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should all just so, quit. Right so now. just to together, just for the audio listeners and yeah. also for me, cause I'm uh, just seeing what you showed me there. So you're, are you angling your, like you're turning your wrist so that your, your pick is like almost coming away from the, the body of the guitar a little bit rather than like, so that your pick is in and the, the you know palm of your hand is out well it's basically what i'm talking about is if you if you're standing or sitting and playing guitar when you do a downstroke does your hand and does the pick go away from the guitar or go or go towards the guitar mm-hmm. that's what it all comes down to okay so when you're i was an upward pick slanter which means when i i think you might have changed the the formula for this or the words for this but basically when i did a downstroke on the guitar my hand went out and away and when i did an upstroke oh, it came in okay. and hit the body So what I had to do was turn it the other way so that when I did downstroke, it would go in towards the body. And when I did an upstroke, it would come away from the body of the guitar. That's the best way I can sort of describe it. Um, But that makes it. And that is more optimal to do it, to to have it come away when you go up? 
what I realized is that I was fight. I was it. All it has to do is with if you start with an upstroke or a downstroke, and how many notes are on each string when you're playing a line. Because if you're doing okay. like three note per, I used to do three note per string. So if I started the original yeah. way where I'm going away, I'm using a downstroke and going away from the body of the guitar, I would go away in on the second note and away on the third note, which is fine. But on the next, if I move up a set of strings, I would go in on the first note, out on the second note, and in again on the third note. So when I'm trying to go up to the next set of strings, I actually have to move my wrist up and over a string and then begin the pattern sure. again. So I'm taking, so when you're like doing it that way, now that is kind of the best way. If you're doing uh, two-way pick slanting, it's about like on that last note, that sixth note, if you're going down, up, down on one string and then up, down, up on the second string, you're slightly turning your wrist to do the opposite pick motion going up and then beginning over again and going back to the original. It is the most, but the thing, it sounds crazy, but it's the most subtle, small motion you would ever imagine. Like, it's not like yeah. you're going, for those who are listening on audio, I'm like, it's like turning the doorknob, right? You turn it a certain way, but rather than turning it 45 degrees, you're turning it one degree and you're turning yeah. it one degree back and oh, one mm-hmm. degree left, one degree right. Mm-hmm. That's like how subtle the motion can be. Um, Troy goes, goes into like a really, really good explanation of this, but it takes a while, especially if you are, uh, especially for people who have naturally been like upward pig slanters like myself, a lot of the program goes into like that. Yeah. Downward pig, like playing into the Eric Johnson lines. I used to practice those lines, the pentatonic six, the yeah. pentatonic sex tuplets, Literally, I practiced those for 20 years and I could not get them past 102, 103 beats per minute. Changing my picking and being aware of it, I'm, I can, I can like, when I'm warmed up, I can get through them at like 120, 125 beats per minute, sometimes yeah. 130 beats per minute. Like, it's really mind boggling how, like, the very subtle manipulations of your muscles and the slight changes of the angle that you, your wrist is or your forearm is or your elbow is can impact your speed. Um, yeah, it's mind-boggling. And also even just like wow. we, we often hear about the economy of motion, and that's a huge part yeah. of it. But one thing that Troy talks about and demonstrates that like Eric Johnson can blaze away on these these lines, but when he slows down the video, you can see how far he gets away from the string on his upstrokes, but be the way he has set up the lines, the way he is like whether it's two notes per string or three, then two, then one, or however it's all done – it's like some people do this naturally with unconsciously without thinking, but a lot of people, they sit down like Ingve Malmsteen is a perfect example. He only plays uh, alternate picking when there's even number of notes on a string. If there's an odd number of notes on the string, he will go, he will down, up, and then pull off. And it's, it's mind-boggling to get around this, but it, for, for Ingve, it's come out naturally after years of playing that way. He just, he just did what felt natural to him. But yes. it's those sorts yeah. of things that like us mere mortals that don't think about that uh having troy grady system and his courses and stuff up there for you to study and check out it's like it's been mind-boggling to me and changing for me life-changing for me when it comes to my playing now i still have a lot to a long way to go to get it to where i want it to be but like if i had this stuff 20 years ago i would be so much better already (laughs) there you go yeah. Wow. So you can tell I'm a little passionate about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, man. I I I feel like p- the picking is is the one thing that. Uh, well, I mean, there's a million things about guitar that I that I feel, but but that's the one that I always feel is holding me back, and that I I sort of focus on and almost like like dread over as like I because I'm left-handed. Me when too. I play guitar. Um, you know, as as uh, most people do uh, in the right-handed way. So, you know, my left hand, my dominant hand is doing the fretting, which is advantageous uh, for a lot of reasons. But the the having the accuracy with the uh, the picking hand and feeling like I can, uh, you know, get from string to string and and, and do because I, I rely a lot on left hand speed, which is like a great way to sort of have speed without having speed, right? And like a lot yeah. of the videos that that I've checked out and, and online lessons, it's like, well, just use your left hand speed because it's like, but if you want to get even good at just like, you know, playing, um, you know, like a 16th note, like um, e- uh, edge of 17, like sure. playing that cleanly. Oh my God. Uh, and, and in time. Evenly. And yeah. it's like, forget it. Like I, tr- I've tr- like, you know, I've tried, I was like, man, this is like, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, well, I wish I, I wish I'd learned guitar left-handed because maybe it would be easier. But yeah. you know, maybe I just need to study up on this. On this, I think uh, you should check that out. Course. Like, here, here's one thing from my lesson with Billy that I will tell you, and it's been changing, my life changing for me is the fact that it, your fretting hand is what makes the music. The picking hand just makes it louder. So if you can make the music with your fretting mm. hand, then that's all you have to worry about. You know, don't like the picking hand will catch up. Billy, he doesn't think about picking, he, even though he can shred so mm. fast. He focuses on yeah. on his left hand and making sure that. So the fact that you can play fast with your left hand is amazing already, and you can do it. It's just it's a stylistic or genre choice that you're making to try to impart the picking on top of that to get a certain tone or attack or feel from the notes. So it's just that there's mm. it's it's more like. We don't want to get into a competition with with others because we think sure. you know the, all that sort of stuff's happening. We just want to make sure you're you're playing the best music possible, you know. And that's where if if you don't yeah. feel like you're playing the best music possible, then yeah, work on your picking. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well said. That's that's a that's a good a good motto though for sure. Yeah, the yeah. picking hand will catch up. That's yeah, a good motto. I don't know if we said this in the beginning, but you're a Yamaha guitars artist. You're also a Line Six artist. Um, yeah, baby. And Mike and I have have devoted like a substantial amount of podcast time to talking about the Helix because we're cool. both uh, neither of us are hashtag sponsored, but we're <laughs> both psyched about just like direct guitar in general. We're both like wh- you know with open arms, like bring it on, man! Like I, I've not, I've personally, I have not been like an amp purist just because of how. Like I think amps sound amazing, but it's just just because of uh, what's the right word? Like how maybe cumbersome's the right word, or just involved it is to even just to haul an amp around from gig to gig. But like to get a tone in a studio, um, like I remember doing uh, the Aberdeen stuff in Vancouver with with you and like Dean. Like I don't know how long it took to get the tones were great, but like it probably took an afternoon to get like oh. a tone. It's you know yeah. what I mean, and it, it's so you know if you want to talk about better or worse, or if, if you know if music is dead because of Pro Tools and Direct Guitar, like that's a different discussion. <laughs> but the, the the possibility that this could become a little bit easier 
uh, has got me pretty fired up. So like I, I've, I don't think I've played an, I, and I've said this before. I don't think I've played a gig on an amp in in uh, in a couple <laughs> a couple years at this point. So um, yeah, like I, I I have I have so many questions about the Helix. I don't even I don't even know if I know where to start. But like it, it, it maybe we'll start here. Like I picked up the Michael Britt pack recently for uh, the Helix, and I I think for. I don't know if a lot of people out there are like me, but like for me, like I just want to start playing. I, I have a hard time sitting there and tweaking tones, and I'll do that if I need to do that. Like I, I programmed for the David James tour, like every sound, all the automatic switching on and off for boosts and all that stuff. And it's like, if that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do. But I also <laughs> would just love to just pull something up and have it have it work. And I think like it's common feedback that that people give is like well it sounds too digital it sounds too in your face it sounds too bright it sounds too fizzy um so are there sort of approaches that you take um kind of off the get-go to to uh to address that sort of a thing to just sort of get yourself in the ballpark and and or slash are you using presets irs like packs that people should be checking out yeah Oh there's man, stuff. There, there's a lot of stuff there. Okay, first of all, uh, I'm the same as you. I when I got the the TR gig, um, I had a few different amps, and I was like, I just want to go to one amp. So I sold my other amps, and I bought myself an AC15, and I've used it once in the last four and a half years or whatever. <laughs> like I've used it once. It's just been yeah. sitting on my shelf, and it eventually. And that's because partly because. I live in an apartment and I can't use an amp without d- disturbing my neighbors. Um, so that's, that's where like the digital stuff is, is huge. It's amazing. Um, I got into digital stuff back in 2000. I got back into digital stuff pre 2000 with the boss GT three effects processor. And then oh, I went, it was, shit. A, yeah, it was a little blue thing. That oh gee. It was, it was pretty, I think you could probably, the reason I got it was because I saw someone use the GT5 and thought the tones were awesome. And then I got it and it sounded like crap and I got rid of it and I got the GT6 and still didn't sound good. And then I got my, the, I went to the line six pod XT and it sounded okay, but still not good. And then, you know, over the years I went to, to, um, what was it? not amp farm, but like amplitude guitar five or a bunch of like, even the logic pro has the built in amp sims. I'm like, man, this still doesn't sound good. And I kept on thinking, man, digital stuff doesn't sound good. And then I realized what's the one commonality between all these products. It's me. I don't know. I I, I didn't, I didn't know how to use them. I didn't know how to use them at all. So, uh, I think at 2015, I got a Kemper and I still have my Kemper and I love my Kemper. It's, it's a great, great piece of gear. Um, it does a very specific thing, an interest, really interesting thing, uh, with the whole profiling aspect of it. It's amazing. And if I was a studio player or if I was in a band and I was in a studio using, uh, amps to record a record i would profile those amps and just bring a kemper out on the road and not have to worry about amplifiers at all on the road like that's what i would do 100 percent um the first year with thomas mm-hmm. we were on i was using uh kempers there they uh they had some that were in like that the company his company owned that the previous player was using um so i was using that and i like and i i like the kemper a lot and i 
I love the Kemper. I love the Helix. I've never used a, a fractal um, Axe Effects, but I'm willing to bet I would love that too. I think the yeah. world of digital guitar amplifiers is we are there. We are there. Can it get better? Yes, but we are there. I have no complaints about any of them. The only complaint is that I don't know how to use them as well as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I find like you're right. The Helix, especially the difference between the, I described to people is like the difference between the Helix and the Kemper is the Helix gives you, if you want an AC 30, they give you their version of the AC 30 and you have to spend the time tweaking it to make it sound like you, how you like it. The Kemper mm-hmm. you can go and find on online or you can buy you can buy thousands. There are thousands of, of profiles of an AC 30, but you have to go through all those thousands of profiles to find one that you like, you know, so you're spending time one way or another trying to find the amp sound that works for you. So that's, that's the biggest difference Mm -hmm. between them. And so with the helix, yeah, there's a little more, um, a little more programming going on, but I like a lot of the flexibility and stuff going. So yeah, I was using the Kemper, the first year and then I switched over I got the the Yamaha deal and Yamaha had just purchased line six and so my Yamaha rep was like hey do you want to try a try the the helix and I thought great I can do that but I have to be able to match the tones like they have like with with Thomas's gig it is like we we work with uh, a really amazing musical director who is actually Taylor Swift's musical director as well and he is one of probably the top three best musicians I've ever met in my life. Um, he's unbelievable. He can hear like he can hear you're playing an F sharp minor seven at the ninth fret. And he'll be like, no, I want I want to hear the, the, the flat seven uh, on the high E string. I don't want to hear it on the, the G. string. I'm like, how did you know? How did you hear? Like, how do you hear these things when you're listening <laughs> to everything going on? So yeah. and his whole deal yeah. is we, we have to protect the music we have to respect the music but we have to protect the music and by protect the music when it comes to gear and comes to tone is like we have to match we have to sound like the record this isn't this isn't a oh you're playing the right chords um but the tone isn't exactly like the record that's fine when when you get when you get to the the thomas rett level and i think i will take this on any gig from from bar band stuff to to i don't know michael jackson level or u2 level type of of gig like you want to protect the music and protecting the music means matching the tones that people are expecting to hear when they come to the show when they come and hear a song and they're like that's the song but it doesn't sound like the song like something's missing or something's off or something's different like we can get away with that as to a certain extent but i think our goal as musicians in in no matter what instrument we want to protect the music honor the music and match the sounds that people are expecting to hear as much as possible. So I switched from, I, I got, uh, I received a Helix from, from line six and I spent my off season for between 2017 and 2018, um, making IRs of the, the Kemper cabinet section to put into my Helix. And then I would bring up the, the same amp model in the Helix that I was using. So if it was an AC 30 on, on the Kemper, I would bring up the AC 30 model in the Helix and then start tweaking from there. And I got, I would say within 90, I got within 1% of tone sounding the same because of I creating yeah. the IRs that I did there. So, um, and I've been, I've been with Helix ever since in line six ever since. Um, 
I I really really enjoy the Helix. I love the community that's online with that, and I also really like the uh, the support that I receive. And I think any Line Six over the last couple of years has really demonstrated their uh, their community and user support uh, goes beyond other companies in the digital amp world right now. There are guys that just spend their whole day on in online forums, just seeing if people have complaints about stuff and they like, if a a unit is broken or something like that, they will reach out to them and say like, here, let let me send you a new one. Send that one back to us. We'll get you, get you sorted. And that means a lot to me as someone who's like really big on customer service, you know, like you want to be treated well for Mm -hmm. the, especially when you get into the thousands of dollars that you're spending on a piece of gear, you know, if something happens to it, you want to know that it'll, they'll take care of it. So that's really good. And that's why, a huge reason why I like using the Line 6 stuff. A bunch of things that you said there. It's like, I feel like, yeah, like the the missing factor with the digital thing. It's like, oh, yeah, Nathan was the only thing that was the, sorry, the same between all those. And it's true. Like, it's the same with me when I played the Helix at first. It kind of revealed a bunch of things about my playing that it's like, oh, Mike, you hit too hard. Like, that's your problem, you know? Like, um, so there's there's definitely that. And also, obviously, tweaking it. One of the things that you said, though, it's like, oh, getting the tones to like protect the music. I don't think you can do that as well on amps unless you have multiple amps on stage. You know what I mean? And that's like, exactly it. That's ex- yeah. that's 100% why we're using digital amplifiers right now. Because the number of times that, like, amp, amp tones aside, the number of times that we'll be in a production rehearsal and the front of house engineer will come on and say, yeah, Nate, uh, 14.5K is poking out really hard. Can you bring, Can you throw an EQ on there with a, a Q of 1.5 and bring it down by 1.7 dB? And I will yeah. be like, no problem. And I can walk over, I can pull up all the, the editor on my laptop and do that right away. And you can't do that yeah. with amplifiers. That makes the front of house guy's job a lot harder to mix. If, if there's one frequency that he has to, to search for, do any of that sort of stuff. And because you're, yeah. yeah, like I said, it's it's really easy to make. And the, your point exactly, like I'm using matchless, I'm using fenders, I'm using like the models, I'm matchless fenders, I'm using uh, Marshalls, I'm using uh, Supros. I'm like, there's so many different amp tones yeah. that that I'm using that you, you would have to carry five or six amps if you're going to get the tones as close as humanly possible. Um, so, so speaking that's of the Helix as well, have you guys seen this? I literally just saw this maybe yesterday. I'm going to just post it on here. The Stomp XL? Loads. Yes, the Stomp XL. Yeah. I am so excited because I had the Stomp. I haven't seen I, this. I, uh, it's apparently processing. It's just like an HX Stomp, but with five extra buttons. Because um, I, I bought the expansion or just like a MIDI controller to get two extra buttons. But I miss having. I've been using the Line Six M9 for maybe a decade, and it was my favorite thing ever. Um, but I got the, I sold it and got the HX Stomp. But I'm missing the extra buttons. And uh, fuck the XL. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I'm gonna sell. That's my, a spicy I'm, little meatball. Isn't I'm literally uh, like working on in the next few days selling my Stomp in preparation for this. I know it's not out yet, but it's not like it's I'm gonna pretty- have any gigs before it's out. It, it is pretty cool. I uh, I've got my stomp right here, and uh, I I think if I was like I bought I probably the same. I got the thirty dollars switch off of Amazon to to yeah. give me an extra two foot switch as the Mosky switch, 
And that's great. And that's all I, I need. I think if I didn't already have the stump, I would go get an XL. But um, yeah, for whatever, yeah. everything like it's just it's really nice to have that that expandability with the foot switch because it doesn't change the guts. It doesn't change the sounds. It doesn't give you any extra functions yeah. except rather than having this <clears throat> and rather than having like this and this on a board, yeah. it's just like mm-hmm. built in together sort of thing with four or five extra buttons to, to allow you to turn stuff on and off easier and whatnot. So yeah, that's, the it's thing pretty I liked cool. About it's pretty cool. The M nine was that <clears throat> I could be on a bar gig and just have a scene, you know, set up of like six effects and be like, yeah, I need most of these. And then maybe if I needed some rare shit, I'd have a separate scene, you know, and I could just do the gig and kind of on the fly, just be like, Oh, I want that effect. I want this effect. And I did that on the, the HX stomp, but it was just cool to have, you know, the color coded buttons and, so I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, I actually ran t- two years ago. Uh, Thomas's dad, Rhett, uh, opened up the the show for for TR. Uh, Rhett Rhett Aikens is a he's a huge songwriter. He's had thirty number ones in the last twenty years. He's my every, like if there you, you go. like just think of any song. It's he probably wrote it or co-wrote or whatever. But he was opening up the show and I actually used the stomp. With, uh, with an M9 and a few drive pedals, so going into it on a pedal yeah. train junior, and I ran out to a DI and it went to front of house, and it was it was unbelievable, it was amazing, and it yeah. was great. And I just yeah. I just used the stomp as a stereo backline amp. That was it. There was no no effects, oh, no okay. anything. So I ran the M9 in stereo into it and and used it just like if I was going to a festival and they had an AC30 and a and a twin as backline, they would just uh, yeah they would it was pretty pretty awesome to play that show and just run it off of this little box basically yeah yeah so back to what you were saying Al things that make can help and make make things better um especially when it comes to the Helix and even with other other uh, modelers uh, the Kemper IRs are huge IRs make the difference Um, I find the Helix stock cabs have gotten better with some with EQ tweaks and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, pulling in IRs uh, into the Helix has really upped the game. It sounds uh, really awesome. You can even import uh, IRs directly into the Kemper now through their their editor software. Without it'll convert them automatically. And the same with the the Fractal Axe Effects. Uh, you just drag them into the editing software and it'll convert it for you. But I've been using. Uh, there's a company, York Audio, Justin York. Uh, he's a pretty prolific IR manufacturer in the last year. He actually used to shoot or did some some IR shots of cabs for Ownhammer uh, back, I don't know, a few years ago. And then he started his own company. And I've been using his, uh, I had planned in 2020 to use his IRs pretty much exclusively on, on the, the TR gig because they sound really, really good. And they make the amps the amp models in the helix sound like the amps should in real life. So that's, that's a huge one. That's a huge one. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say is like, especially if you're going digital 99% of the time, we're all using in-ear monitors, right? Yeah. And so the biggest complaint I have with the helix that's some on like the Kemper, there's a function called space that is pretty much built baked in and you can't, you, unless you know to go turn it off, you don't realize it's on sort of thing, but is, uh, room 
the room reverb sort of sound or feeling that you get. Cause sometimes you're like playing, you're like, this doesn't feel good. And I think it's more of an yeah. auditory thing. So what I've done, especially in the helix is like my chain is always now amp, uh, maybe something in between the amp and the cab, like a compressor or something specific that I want to do there. But right after the IR or the cab, I always put a room reverb that is just act giving me a little bit more of the, yeah, the room, the, this like, Oh, now it feels like an amp. And then post that mm-hmm. I add, any like the the actual reverbs like the the bigger rooms or the springs or or whatever and delays yeah. and modulation but I, yeah but like for for me as a as an in-ear pl- digital player like that makes a huge difference with the helix especially is that something that only you're hearing just to for for vibe or that is also going out to the audience that's going out to the audience, but it is especially on the Helix. It's there. It's the legacy room reverb. I just bring up the stock settings and just bring up the mix ever so slightly, and it's it's literally a feel mm. thing. It's like it's it's yeah. adding those yeah. room reflections you would get into your microphone if you were micing up a cab, because what the Helix is great at yeah. is it is an authentic model of the amplifier, but it is not giving you any of that room and that air getting into the mic. So that's it's like super a, super mm. super clean. Super sterile. It's like you're yeah, living. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, well, so that's so the that's, funny thing yeah. that I keep saying to the people that knock digital stuff. It's like, well, the reason that it doesn't feel right or sound right is that you don't know how to work it, and I still don't know to work, how to work it as well either. I feel like someone who has supreme knowledge of digital amps versus someone who has supreme knowledge of like how to mic an amp, like they'd be very comparable. You know, like because most guitarists, including myself are not super experienced with like sitting with a mic and tweaking and being like, oh, this is where the SM57 goes and this is where the Royer goes and on this cab I like this. But if you had that power with the Helix, you could do that live. You know, you're not going to bring a Royer out for live stuff. You know, like it's crazy. Well, I just think the fact that if you know as a guitarist that you like, like for me, I know I love a 57 and a 421 on guitar cabs. That's like for some yeah. reason I've always gravitated to that. So when I open up IR packs, they are, I always, one of the first, of the first mixes that I go is the 57 and 421 and I will say 90% of the time that is the IR I stick with because I know that this, that yep. sound I know that sort of thing it's the same with like sometimes no matter what if you're which which unit you're using if you're a guy that's only ever played Fenders and AC30s in your whole entire life and you've never actually played a Supro or you've never actually played a Marshall in real life if you pull up a Supro or a, a Marshall model you're not going to know how to tweak them. Like that's, sure. that's a huge thing, you know, like the real yeah. world counterparts mm-hmm. can be beneficial. So I think like for somebody who doesn't have any miking experience, I think going from, from a digital amp and saying, if you go into a studio and you're like, well, they've got real amps. I might as well do that. You can say the sound engineer. I really like the sound of the 57 and the 421. They'll be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Let's try that. You know, that's those sorts yeah, of things yeah. can like really be beneficial both ways. They're not like mutually exclusive. Yeah, also yeah. like micing distance too. Like, oh, could you back the mic off? You know, on my presets, I like it when the mic isn't so close. You know, and it's like, yep, exactly, exactly. So cool. Yeah the the world of digital. Like anybody, anybody says it doesn't sound right. I, it's it's one of those things. Like you have to you have to give you have to have some grace with people because I think when they say it doesn't sound right, it's actually it doesn't feel right, and that's because. Sure. You're not standing in front of an amplifier that is blasting your kneecaps off at 
115 dB or whatever it is, you know, because if you went into a studio mm-hmm. and had uh, an amp in a mic in a in an amp locker down the hall, and you're just sitting in the control room listening back to what is mic'd up, and compared that to what a modeler or a profiler of that amp is doing, they're going to sound 99.9 percent the yeah. same. They are, yeah. So like just. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge thing. That that, that all being said, that sometimes there are certain frequencies that do get a little more because because you're not pulling the mic back that extra two inches or moving it forward that extra two inches. You're losing some proximity effect or whatever, or gaining proximity effect on an amplifier that you don't have on certain profiles or models or whatever. So you may have to. I find like when people say it's shrill or brittle or stuff. Um, room reverb and then a high high cut on the the speaker cab is huge for a variety of modelers and profiles. I think that's huge. Line six just in their cab lock. They last year with one of their updates, they uh, set the st- uh, the stock setting on the high cut to eight kilohertz, where it used to be open at uh, like twenty four kilohertz. So bringing that okay. stock setting down to eight yeah. kilohertz made like took away a lot of that fizziness or digitalness that people used to complain about so that's something to be aware of you know they're almost like learning um because it is a new form they're like learning or i guess like trudging the new uh like path of like well what do people want to hear with these things you know just in the same way like gear manufacturers for like two for tube amps and like guitars or it's like oh well people want you know that with the stratocaster we want a three pickup guitar instead of a two pickup guitar. And then people started using, they had the three-way switch and they're like, well, people are using the in-between switch. So why don't we just make that a thing? It's the same with that. It's like, well, people are always cutting this down to 8K. Why don't we just do that automatically? You know? Yeah, exactly. I I think there's, like I said, you have to have a little bit of grace with people that, that don't understand may or may not have as much experience as you with a certain piece of gear technology. And it's like, just like if back when I had the GT three, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't, and I thought it sounded like crap and it, it didn't sound like crap. I didn't know how to use it. You know? So it's like, sure. You got to There's a, there's a learning experience and a learning and I'm still learning stuff every day, every day with the helix and with like any of the gear that I'm using. It's like, that's half the fun. Like I've, I've learned a lot about setting up guitars over the last year and not even a lot. I mean, like, I think I talked with Al about this over text a little while ago about like the neck straightness and like when the neck's pulling back and stuff and how much humidity has to play on that. But also like one of the best tools I ever got uh, over the last year was this, a stainless steel ruler. Because when you're, when I was measuring the, uh, the curvature of the neck, you know, sometimes we just like hold down the, the low E string at the first fret and tap at the 17th fret and we see if there's any, yeah. any space in it, but like, that's not actually accurate across the neck. So like using a stainless steel, uh, straight edge to actually check the straightness or the, the bow or the back bow on the neck was like, it was huge. It was, it was game changing for me because I can now accurately say like, I like my action this way and I like this actual height yeah. and you can test things. So like, just learning. We're always learning about about life. So and gear's part of life. So it's fun to yeah. it's fun to learn that stuff. Yeah. Gear is life. Nathan. Gear I, is life. I have one other question. I have one other Helix question. Mm-hmm. Are you using the stomp when you're touring or are you using like the full on 
floorboard one? We're actually using for for TR. I was using the Stomp when I was playing in the Red Aikens band because that was just like on my my pedal train junior and, and that. But for for TR stuff, I were we're using the rack, and I have the oh, the control the for the rack up on up on in front of me. But the control in front of me, I've got a volume pedal or expression pedal attached to it that is my volume. And then I've got all my, I use snapshots and the control and the volume pedal in front of me are actually just my oh shit backup because all of our, all of my tone changes, all of my program changes, all the song changes are all sent automatically to the Helix from uh, our tracks rig, which is running time code with the lights. So like I can be do that that solo two hundred feet down on the catwalk and have a, a ripping solo tone and then when I have to go like last year one song exactly this is exactly what happened I had had a shredding solo and then it sounded like Van Halen and then two seconds later I had to have like a Nile Rodgers funk sound and I couldn't run all the way back to my pedal board and get that sound happening but the the, yeah. the tracks rig sent the time code out to the Helix and did the program change for me so I didn't have to worry about that so that's a really that's really amazing. cool thing about the digital world is like yeah. if you have if you have any DAW uh, we're we're running Ableton but I've seen people using Pro Tools I've seen people using Logic um, to to send out program changes and time code it's a game changer for putting on a show because rather than me worrying about yeah. having to run back and do a tap dance on the uh, on the controller uh, I can focus on entertaining and, and playing playing right uh, and entertaining people you know whereas you never used to be able to mm-hmm. do that. So yeah, digital amps are really amazing. Really amazing that way. Did you do all that MIDI programming yourself? I like programmed all the tones in the different snapshots. And then I actually being the, the anal retentive nerd I am, I have a, a spreadsheet for all the, the, there's 128 program change blocks uh, in the Helix with, with control change, CC contr- MIDI control changes for the eighth snapshot. Oh, so yeah, I've got yeah, that yeah. all laid out. And so I actually type all this stuff in and then I send that over to our tracks engineer and then he puts it into Ableton uh, based off of my notes. So he knows like, oh, this is verse one. So I put the MIDI CC to this number on this program change. And for the solo, I move put to, to snapshot seven and he does all that stuff ahead of time. So it really helps save time during rehearsal process as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I I was doing that for the for the uh, the David James tour. Rich and I like delved into the world of trying to get MIDI to do what you wanted to do, and I was just curious if you um, if you were doing it yourself because I there's there's some little, I mean for you know like you said mere mortals like us like I don't really know what MIDI is. I just know that it's a thing and you can use <laughs> it to do stuff. So like there's yeah. some little like idiosyncrasies with it where you're like, well, I'm telling it to do this, but it doesn't. You know, you I, I you just figure out workarounds. You're like, well, if I offset it, it'll actually do it at the right time. And well, if it, I use this number, it doesn't work for some reason. And like, yeah. Well, it's it's that's totally it. It's even like simple things like there are 128 uh, program change messages available, but line six starts at zero and goes to 127, and Ableton starts at one and goes to 128. Or it might be backwards, oh, but okay. so yeah, yeah. so you have to <laughs> offset by one number to get the right thing happening. It's just like it's uh, between manufacturers. There's still not complete, you know, uh, cohesiveness going on. So it's, it's, there's yeah. stuff to work around. But like the things you can do, even with like 
some of the like you could use the helix to turn your amp on and off like if you have like if you're running four yes. table method or or not change channels not turn it off but uh, change channels on your amp and doing that sort of stuff or if you still use like the Strymon timeline or or big sky or any of those other digital uh reverb or delay boxes you can set up midi and so when you hit the one snapshot it turns on and changes the program it's it's unbelievable yes. and like there there are guys there are guys like our tracks engineer uh, who's on the road with us? I'm pretty sure his job before this was just building tracks rigs for all the like for for Nashville and LA and New York based artists, and ensuring that when you press the they button, work. MIDI one gets yeah. over here, but it converts to MIDI zero, and then this light turns on over. Like that's his job, and it's a huge job. Yeah, it's an insane job, and like. Like I said, I can do a spreadsheet, but I won't go that far. <laughs> like it's it's pretty intense yeah. what you can do with it. I have a theory, yeah. and yeah. this is this sure. is really wacky and getting out into the weeds. I have a theory, and I've kind of tested it, but technically, couldn't you set up a proper recording like uh, signal chain with the Helix and use it live? So, like the idea is like not that every signal chain with re- recording is like uh, like a analog preamp analog compressor but like i have my helix and i actually like for a little bit i ran it through a stereo compressor like an actual analog like like hardware unit uh and then an actual real preamp like that you would record microphones with and i don't know if it sounded any better but it's an exciting idea right like because there's a, a guitar player louis allen who plays for sam smith um, he's a, he's okay, a Helix yeah, guy a and he runs his Helix into a pair because they're just mono units. So he runs in a pair to the warm audio, uh, which, which models WA, not the 84. It's one of the EQs. Um, it's the blue one. Uh, forget mm. the model. Oh, number. okay. Yeah, yeah. But like he does that because he, he, he likes to like just tweak on the output just a little bit. It's like, I think once, once I actually get into a place, I know I'm going to live for a, a little while. I'm definitely going to be running like into some Neve strip, like the Helix have my uh, Helix rack yeah. at home that I go into some Neve stuff into like, uh, you know, into at least at very least get a, a pair of distressors to have on the output of the Helix to go into, to logic or pro tools or whatever after for for sure, because that yeah. stuff is cool. But the cool thing about the Helix as well, though, is that you can run sort of like a fake mastering chain. There's a, there's another, there's a great, YouTube guitar player, instructor, gear guy, Jason Sedites. I'm pretty sure that's how you say his last name. Oh, yeah, I know um, him. He's kind of got an accent, yeah. right? Like, it's almost like a Brooklyn or, like, New York I, accent. I, I, don't, I don't know. He's, he lives He lives down near London, Ontario, um, yeah, but got- might be the guy. Um, but he's got a whole series, and his whole thing with all his Helix signal chains is that at the end, he always runs... Uh, uh, an EQ or two, an e, or a couple EQs, and then uh, a stereo uh, limiter, basically, to sort of glue everything together. Just like it's the the yeah. Helix eleven seventy six uh, okay. block sort of thing. So um, he mm-hmm. does that in his patches. So like, there's definitely a, a thing there for sure. Shit, there you go. Yeah, you're you're. It's not a theory. It's it's yeah. a thing in practice. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I've man, I've busted out the stomp at a couple of recording sessions recently, which feels really hilarious to do. Like you walk into like Metalworks or whatever studio, and you're just like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna 
Can I just get like a line? Can I just get like an XLR line to this, to Dude, this little I, box here and like away we go? And um, I'm, I mean, there's a lot of kinks to be worked out, but it's it's pretty exciting, man. And, and even in a recording studio situation, then you're not dealing with amp bleed and in the drum mics. Sure. And like the amazing thing, too, is like if you're using the Stomper, the Helix as the, like their U- audio over USB, you get eight channels of audio. So what you can do is record. You can record your your yes. tone and record, but you can also record like what I've done in the past is I record my my dry amp tone stereo to tracks one and two on channels three and four. I run my stereo effects so I can mix the effects after and get a better feel. But then I also record a mono on channel eight or whatever, a mono DI signal so that I can go back yes. and I can reamp after the fact, either into the stomp or into the helix again, or you could send that out to an amplifier or whatever. I think that like the yeah. whole yeah. USB audio thing is pretty amazing and it gives you so many options whoa i didn't even know this was a thing so you can like you plug your 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 stomp in via usb and you record through the usb instead of like a xlr yeah. cable it acts as your audio interface and you do it that way and so like oh, it's it's pretty amazing to do it that way and like i said just the fact that i, I had we were we were doing pre-production back in i want to say it was february or march before everything got completely locked down. Um, but what we were doing was like, we had our musical director send us an idea and he's like, I want you to record this stuff uh, so that when we get to rehearsal, before we get to rehearsal, we can get it approved that this is the arrangement and all that kind of stuff. And I did one pass through and sent it off to him. He's like, yeah, it's cool, man. But if you don't mind, if you can just like, and I just sent it him like a printed thing. And it's like, if you can send me separate, you know, dry guitar and effects tracks so that I can mix it myself. And like, I said, okay, cool. And like two minutes later, I sent it to him. He's like, wait a second, what? And I was like, oh, I already recorded ha, it that way. I just, I just did a two mix sort of thing for you. So like, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's super cool. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go down that rabbit hole now. Figure out how to do that. <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's so cool. So what's, what's next for you? I mean, like, obviously for any of us, it's kind of like, we'll see, um, I guess. But do you have <laughs> anything coming up or, or any sort of things in the works uh, I, in the next little bit? Uh, like you mentioned earlier, my, uh, my wife gave birth to our daughter January last year. And so I was sort of planning on being home for three months and being like dad at home for three months and then hitting the road and stuff. And that would have, it would have been amazing. But instead of having three months with at home with my daughter, I've had the first year of her life, which is amazing. I'm so lucky. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other touring musician. Like, yes, this year has sucked hard. But the fact that I got to spend the first year at home with her is I will never, ever regret. Um, that all being said, I was so focused on her last year that I really kind of like, I, I didn't really have any goals or, or anything other than her <laughs> for a while. But this year, um, I've definitely, I've started, like I said, I've, I've got this new Instagram account, Nathan Whitney Music, and I'm starting to put up some, what I call honesty and practice videos, because I think one of the biggest things on YouTube and Instagram is like, you see guys that are perfect. You see videos that are perfect yeah. and it is demoralizing. And I'm just like, there are some guys that I see post there that I, a, they're either, I know they are playing perfectly. So that makes me demoralized, but that's okay. Those guys I know are perfect, but then there are people that are obviously it's fake, but it's fake to such a certain extent that you can't tell. And you're like, is this really good? I don't know. So yeah. I've just been doing these little things, posting things where it's like, this is what I'm working on right now. 
And yeah, I might have I might have played it five or six times before I got the one that was like okay. But like, here's what I'm working on, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's something I'm sort of going to be focusing on this year is just being like, I think there's something honest and and human in showing your flaws just a little bit on you know into the world. You don't want to reveal like the like. I'm not going to show a video. Well, maybe I will show a video of how I sound exact. Actually, I already posted one of how I sound ex- like as soon as I play first thing in the morning after getting back from walking the dog sort of thing. And it's not great. It's slow and whatever, but it's human, you know? So yeah. I'm really big into mm-hmm. uh, being a human this year. And so and that's also like, whether it's like being a good dad or a good musician or a good friend or, you know, just being that person on the internet that says it's okay to suck once in a while, you know? <laughs> Yeah, or if you're like me, uh, you know, a little more frequently than, than yeah. once in a while. It's okay to just suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you said that you were you were doing backing tracks as well. You're like releasing backing tracks. Yeah, through my, on my website, I've got there's a page that just backing tracks, and uh, one of the things I started last year is like I don't know about you guys, but. I search for backing tracks to practice along with, and one of the things I'm yeah. always looking on YouTube and like. Some of them are great. Some of them are not great. Some of them don't exactly fit what I was looking for. And the first thing I was looking for was just a simple single note drone that would go on for a certain amount of time so that like I could practice whatever scales, arpeggios, chords all over a single note drone that didn't have any tempo associated with it. I could turn on my metronome and do that. So I made a bunch of those in a varying lengths from two minutes all the way up to 30 minutes. And uh, I started using them for myself in my practice time. And I thought, well, maybe other people could get some use out of this. So those are available on my, on my website. Um, it's you know, a link to a gumroad sort of thing. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited in finding you know, things that hopefully I can, use, I can use in my own practice time that I can share with other people and hopefully they can get some use out of as well. So that's the first one that's up there. I do expect to be releasing some, some, something similar with some tempos associated with different feels and that kind of stuff and it's you know i people have said well you should start a a patreon or a a subscription service and i think that's great for a lot of people but for me i'm not the type of person if i wake up in the morning i'm like oh i have to do that today i have to put out some more content for my subscribers or whatever that's not me that's not me i'm like i'm the type of guy like here's a product if you want to buy it cool if you don't okay no fine but i just don't want to yeah that's that's my biggest thing so finding creating more product like that to make available for for practice and for people to use or not use at their liking (laughs) (laughs) right on man all right well i think that's a pretty good place to to wrap up the show here for the most part um thanks a lot for taking the time man yes i know we're all we all joke about how we're we're not doing anything and like <laughs> we're not busy, but like we are all also busy and you've got a family and you, I'm sure you've got your family, other man. stuff that you're, you're filling your time with. So we, we do very much appreciate you, um, you taking the time and it, frankly, it's good to see you and chat with you, man. I hope that there comes a day soon when we can just grab a beer and hang out like, the good old days, you know? The good oh, old man. days. <laughs> I mean, driving in northern Ontario and eating cliff bars trying to survive? All right, I'm up for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it would be really good to see you guys. Hopefully, I, I know you're all out on the East End, so yeah, when this is all when it's all said and done, it'd be great to get, to, to get together and have a socially distanced coffee or beer or something like that and hang out. Yes. Yeah. So again, yeah, NathanWhitneyMusic.com. Uh, at Nathan Whitney Music on Instagram. Uh, and if folks want to reach out to you about 
private lessons uh, or maybe just chatting about how to set up uh, set up a sweet Helix rig or, or uh, that sort of thing, they can get in touch with you uh, those ways. Yep. Recording as well. Like I know you do some – we were just sort of talking about recording setups, but I know you've played on some records for uh, a bunch of artists that we know. Um, and uh, so if people are looking for – uh, a great guitar player for the record. They should reach out to Nathan and and hire this hire this beautiful fella because he's great. That, that would be lovely. Thank you. <laughs> it, similarly, if you need lessons or you know maybe some sweet acoustic guitar playing, uh, or maybe you need a track mixed or produced right from scratch, uh, you can find me at Alro Music on most social media platforms. Uh, if you're looking for uh, lessons, steel guitar. Film scoring, programming, synthesizer kind of stuff, sound design kind of stuff, uh, or just good old-fashioned electric guitar um, on your next project or, or lessons in, in any of the above. You can reach out to Mr. Michael Hebs at Bruno the Meek on Instagram. You can find the podcast uh, anywhere you, you love to listen to podcasts, uh, and you can find us uh, at Music Guy Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and all the past episodes or available for you to stream, musicguypodcast.com. Each and every week, we play some original music submitted by one of our listeners uh, or from a guest of the show. If you would like to submit a song for airplay on the podcast, you can do so at musicguypodcast at gmail.com. This week's song comes from friend of the show and former guest, Mr. Eddie Ryder, keyboardist for Sean Mendes, who we were actually talking about uh in this episode with Nathan. Uh, this is a beautiful solo piano arrangement that uh, Eddie has written for his fiance Carrie. It's called Carrie's Song. If you'd like to check out Eddie's music on Spotify, it's all solo piano music, and it's all awesome. You could do so at the link in the show notes, uh, and Eddie is spelled E-D-D-Y, last name R-U-Y-T-E-R. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Here's Carrie's song by Eddie Ryder. <laughs> 